the gospel is a difficult one, and uh, not that I'm afraid of a challenge, but I'm not going to preach about it, so you're going to have to study this at home. I'm going to preach on uh, Deuteronomy this morning, so let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time gathered together. We thank you that we are able to um, come apart from all the busyness of our world to recenter ourselves in your love, in your mercy, in your challenge, to use all that we are and all that we've been given to put you first in our lives. Yes, we love family, friends, jobs, and other things, but above all, God, you need to be there in the first uh, seat of all. And we pray that we take all of our motivation and our energy and direction from your loving hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This week, I fulfilled a long-standing goal. You see, our refugee family, the Saads from Baghdad, Iraq, became citizens at last, citizens of our country in April. And the family of five have worked hard for six years without ever taking a vacation or seeing the country they are so proud now to have adopted. So I promised them I would take them to the Jersey Shore for a big day this week. I would be chauffeur, and Linda Breckenridge, who had been the children's tutors for much of their high school years, would be uh, my navigator. And so off we went. So it was great fun walking the uh, boardwalk and seeing uh, the reaction. The young girl, who is 22 years old, was the only of the three children that could make it. And she had never stood on the beach and looked out at an ocean uh, before. And so it's mind-boggling, actually, to witness that. Um, We showed them the foods and the traditions and the games on the boardwalk at sunset. They were taken by the pink um, hue in the sky and the rolling in of the surf uh, and the beautiful reeds that are there on the beach as we were preparing to leave. And so it's never so interesting to view your country as when you have new immigrants uh, walking with you side by side, discovering what we see with foreigners' eyes. And sometimes we're so proud that they're seeing our country, and then sometimes we're so embarrassed that they're seeing some of our antics. And this election year has stirred all kinds of sentiments and animosity in our country, which threatens the well-being of us all. The women in the Saad family wore their head coverings, the hijab, and the long pants, uh, the mother wore bell-bottoms down to the beach, it was a pretty hot day, and long sleeves covered up everywhere except for her face, where I encouraged her to at least put sunscreen here. Now, I'll admit, I was just a tad uneasy for their sake, hoping there would be no disapproving stares because they were Muslims, no comments or even violence attempted on them. Thankfully, we had no problem. But the morning after we returned, the New York Post headline read, Someone has just killed me. A wife's cry went out to her husband as she lay dying on the sidewalk. Nazma Khanum was stabbed to death from behind by some stranger as she walked home from the Queen's grocery store where they had been shopping. 
She was a 60-year-old retired teacher, a Bangladeshi native. Neighbors and police have arrived at the thought it was just a hate crime. Now fearful neighborhood Muslims around her think she was killed because of her faith. Nothing was stolen, nothing was taken, but she was wearing a sari and a head covering, a hijab. The article ends, you never know, because it's America. Many people, many minds. This year, America is getting much press around the world for our intolerance of others, plus our incredibly high toll taken by gun violence in cities like Chicago, by gangs and drugs. Add daily those ugly words that go around our news cycle like bigots and racists and worse. They're degrading us all. And many are stirring the pot of division and fear. This doesn't inspire trust or goodwill on the part of our global partners. So this is why we need to hear again today the Old Testament message from Deuteronomy 30. Moses, you see, is giving a farewell address, a send-off speech to the people of Israel. They are about to enter the promised land without him. He doesn't get to go with them. And consider for a moment how precious is the gift of a land given by God, especially now in the Middle East. Everyone is fighting over possession of cities and expanded boundaries in Palestine, Israel, Syria, Iraq, Turkey, you name it. God is telling us today, as he did the Israelites hundreds of years ago, our peaceful future will be determined by how we remember to love the Lord and keep his commandments. Listen again to Moses' mandate to his people. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord our God by loving the Lord, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments and decrees, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in that land you're entering in to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led way to bow down to other gods and to serve them, you shall perish. Choose life. Choose life, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him so that you and your descendants may live. One writer says that Moses' ultimatum here is radically communal. I like that. Radically communal. Everybody sticking together. Our future in America and the world always depends, as it did for Israel, on being in peaceful, respectful, loving relationships with one another, no matter what the color or creed or gender or faith of that neighbor. We are called to live cooperatively side by side in unity with liberty for all. And for Jews and Christians especially, we have the Ten Commandments, that prescribe how neighbor love and a fruitful future and community 
can blossom for all people and nations into a radically communal land. As Proverbs puts it, keep my commandments and live. Our faith, as you know, is not a weekend hobby. It's meant to be the core of our existence and our identity. In all honesty, do we always really remember what those Ten Commandments are? Yes, surely many do. But admit it's a constant struggle for some. Maybe the children don't know them. And so we need to practice honoring God above all other things by knowing the rules he has given us in love for peaceful existence. Our culture is so self-absorbed. From wanting to be a star on YouTube and be discovered or America's Got Talent winner of a million-dollar prize, we often ask politicians as well, but what's in it for me? Not what's healthiest for the weak and the powerless in our nation. Even if it costs us something, what can we give and share so that all people can afford to live among us? So Moses reminds us what's at stake in the health of our land. Unequivocally, God comes first. We are meant to be molded and inspired by our Lord who created us, protects us, forgives us, and trusts us to care for his world with the same compassion and grace that was shown us in Jesus Christ. Preacher William Willimon says this, When we love someone deeply, we find ourselves no longer thinking in terms of I or you, but rather in terms of us and we. Sometimes very much like something like that happens uh, when we are believers in Jesus Christ. We find ourselves being drawn out of self into Christ. We find that we are given more responsibility for the needs of others. We find we are thinking less of ourselves and more about neighbor. And the love of Jesus beckons us on one of the most important journeys we will ever undertake. A long countercultural journey outside of ourselves toward the true center of our being, who is Jesus. One of my pastor colleagues, um, Bill Vanderslice, who just took a call at Christ Lutheran Orland, our neighbor church, has been taken on, uh, taken on such a long journey personally this summer. A journey literally to choose life and examine his future with God. He was diagnosed shockingly with leukemia on July 4th. And he shares this posting on Facebook this week. He writes, 26 days in the hospital gave me time to consider God's role in all that was happening. The leukemia turned on the light switch. No forewarning. So with a lot of time to pray and discern, I asked, what was God doing? Like a potter, God was working through clay vessels in my life. Doctors, nurses, family, congregational members, colleagues, and friends. 
And what God is doing is not finished. With each new day, I have the opportunity to give thanks for so many blessings, in spite of aches and pain. In this present moment, as in other life circumstances, my eyes have been opened to see how God's presence sustains, renews, and redeems life. Like a potter, God has invited me to put my hands on the clay with the Holy Spirit to feel something new taking shape. What will it look like is not determined yet. I would encourage you to take time to see how God, as the divine potter, is inviting you to put your hands on the clay. Give it time to take shape, knowing that in all circumstances God is present and working to sustain and renew and redeem life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, won't you help something new and radically communal take shape in our city, in our nation, in our world, in your neighborhood? Just let God, the master potter, guide your hands on the clay to assist him in renewing and redeeming life wherever you are. Choose life. Amen.